Welcome back to Detroit Strange. We are so happy you're here listening with us. No, to us. Yes. I mean, yes. I guess we're listening to. With us, to us. Yeah. About us. I hear you. I hear you. I hear Alex over there. And I hear Jess over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that we're starting this off as a very like supportive community already. Yes. We're a supportive <laughs> community of two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right now. Mm-hmm. But we've got many people listening to us. Yeah. Hi there. Hello. It is Easter Monday. It is. I don't know why I keep talking about the date. We're like, let's not talk about the date. <laughs> I mean, I think to a, a certain degree. I just don't think we have to rely on it. Oh, but yeah, for sure. We are very, we're very, we're getting ahead, which is something that I don't think either of us do on the regular. Yeah. I would say. This is true. I know I'm a procrastinator and I revel in the last minute. It depends on what I'm working on. It really, it really does. Oh, for like there's some things where mm-hmm. I'm like, I well, it depends on can I find the motivation to do it? The answer is no. A lot of the time. I just I've always been a procrastinator. It's a very hard cycle to get out of. And even if I try to start early on things, sometimes I just sit and stare and like waste time. Yeah. So I'm trying to develop a. Uh, Kind of a, a a medium. I'm trying to find the medium. Yeah. Like I don't need to be like a early early starter, but at least a medium starter. Yes. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But recording yeah. early certainly helps. So. Yes. Yeah. But speaking of Easter, mm-hmm. I dyed Easter eggs yesterday. You can dye them year round, just so you know. I, I know, but like I, was like. Coming home from my parents, and I was like, I'm sad I didn't die Easter eggs. I'm going to stop and get Easter eggs and die. Because, like, for some reason, like, I acknowledge that dying Easter eggs isn't that fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, let me drop this egg in this color dye. Let me drop this egg. In. Like, it's not like, you know, the be all end all for Easter. But it's one of those things where I feel like if I don't do it, I'll be sad. I liked experimenting with it too, though, because like you don't yeah. have to just do one one die or like the crayon oh, yeah. thing. You draw with a crayon first. This one doesn't come with a crayon. Resist. I was pissed. Oh, I'll get you some so crayons. It was an under the sea egg dyeing kit, so Ooh. everything was like nautical theme. Uh-huh. I called it under the sea stir. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It came with like a little crab thing that you could put your egg in and then like a little octopus thing. Oh, that's adorable. Adorable. And then they went like way too. Oh, excuse you, phone. I forgot to silence you. I am not drinking water right now. I am drinking. Thank you. (laughs) Aggressive. Anyway. Back off, phone. Yeah. Step off, (laughs) sis. But no, so dyed some Easter eggs. Yeah, I'm gonna make him into deviled eggs soon because again, I like it's like I had no reason to dye eggs because I am one person and now I'm gonna have two dozen deviled eggs because I made a dozen hard boiled eggs. Yes. No, I was just about to add on I haven't dyed eggs in years, to be honest. Yeah. And like yeah. I liked doing it, but it's okay. But the thing I cannot go without is a deviled egg. I made well, I made four deviled eggs in the morning uh-huh. <laughs> on Easter. And then I had those for breakfast, clearly. Well, like yeah. two eggs into. F- yeah, yeah, yeah. For like a single double <laughs> yes. egg, a yes. single deviled egg is a half of yes. a regular egg. And then um, hard boiled. Lisa was like, 
are, where are the deviled eggs? And I was like, um, they're gone. <laughs> and oh, wait, I'm sorry. I made six because I can eat deviled eggs. Um, yeah. Anyway. And I was like, that's not crazy. I didn't like pre-plan to buy enough, you know, extra eggs. So like, that's yeah. why I didn't make that many. You can use some of my eggs. And I was like, okay. And then I uh. made like, <laughs> like 16 more deviled eggs. Perfect. Yeah. So we still they're have some. They're a good snacky. They're so good. And you, they're very, I just made the classic ones, but they're very versatile. Like, have you ever made them? Oh, yeah. I love making mine with chipotle mayo and honey mustard. Little honey chipotle. Ooh, oh, I'm not a honey mustard fan. I love honey mustard. I, it has to be like a spicy, like stone ground. The one I've got is like a spicy honey mustard. It's got like a decent amount of horseradish in it. So mm-hmm. sweet, but still has a zing. But you can put whatever you want in them. And I love oh, it. Yeah. I've even made them instead of mayo, avocados. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really delicious, too. I didn't do that yesterday, but love a deviled egg. Same. Yeah. I had a couple this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that <laughs> sounds like a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Yeah. Yeah. You had three beverages today. I do have three beverages. What are those three beverages? I mean, I usually do, honest, in all honesty, have yeah. more than one and generally around three. I've got water with my girl gang, which is a Golden Girls sticker and our sticker Perfect. on it. Because, uh, you know, hydration. And then. Yes. Diet Cherry Pepsi. Yes, I've been drinking a lot of that mm-hmm. lately. And then because I did have the things for it. And I think, as you said last week, it was, um, what's that show on the Food Network? Chopped. Yes, it's Chopped, Quarantine Chopped. And I have a Manhattan. Ooh. Yes. So Love a good Manhattan. Although I think my ice, my one giant ice cube has already melted, but that's okay. When I make a Manhattan with um, Crown Royal instead of bourbon. Mm-hmm. I call it a Toronto because it's Canadian whiskey. There you go. Yeah. What if it's a Kentucky whiskey? What do you call it then? Uh, a Nashville. That's, that's Tennessee. Nope, that sure is. That sure is. A Louisville? Uh, Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Louisville. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Tennessee would be Nashville or Memphis. It could even be Memphis. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So many choices. Yeah. Uh, what about a Detroit whiskey? Would it be just a Detroit? I'd call it a Motor City. Um, clever. Mix it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do really quickly because I'm on my my plug train. I want to plug through more yes, podcasts. Yes. Choo choo. Let's keep this plug train out rolling. Yeah. Uh, so I've been mentioning some of our our family network podcasts from Planning Up Podcasts. Yes. And I just wanted to mention a few today. The first one being Best Song Ever. This is a really good good podcast. The hosts are great. Yeah. It's a music po- uh, comedy. No, music comedy podcast. And they talk about like new songs, sometimes new artists. It's a lot of fun. They do like individ- they each have like a playlist each episode to talk through. And if you like music and you, you like kind of knowing what's up going on, cutting edge, that's a good place to turn to. Ooh. Yeah, and then there's also Dish of the Day, which is a comedy lifestyle podcast with a running food theme. We wouldn't Ooh, know yeah. anything about that. <laughs> no, couldn't possibly. Food? What is it? Remember how that was never even a part of it, but now it kind of is. 
We talk about food a lot. We do. We do. But I mean, it's life. It's a big life We both life like thing. to cook too. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. need to eat to survive. Yeah. But this show is Earth and Delta, the hosts, and they basically give their like hot takes on various topics. They do internet quizzes. Sometimes we'll have guests. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. And the last one is Homophilia. I bet you can't guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're really into The Simpsons, this is the show for you because they are going through The Simpsons. Not to use Homer from ancient Greece. Not that Homer. Homer Simpson. Yes. Yes. There's no um, philosophy. Well, there actually probably is some philosophies there, but. Because it's the Simpsons. Yeah. I mean. They got a little bit of everything. Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. It's creepy how much the Simpsons (laughs) know about everything. And it's been around for so long. Yeah. There's been so many episodes, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean. When they hit, they hit. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you are a Simpsons fan, ho- head over, check out Homophilia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so are you, you're drinking something, I believe. I saw maybe a little peek or heard a little peek. Yes. It is a Bud Light lemonade seltzer. Ooh, ooh la la. Uh, yeah. Bold bubbly lemonade. I, Bud Light seltzer lemonade. And just flavor original lemonade there's so many seltzers now it's there's so many you can't you can't keep up no but i will try (laughs) i know i know your dedication level yes (laughs) i have already started talking about making margaritas this year but nicer weather is coming up yes so margs are gonna have to happen yeah that's perfect you gotta and i love a margarita because much like a deviled egg you can make so many variants. Oh, hell yeah. Mango, strawberry, blueberry. Jalapeno. I love a spicy one. I don't know if one. I'm down with the jalapeno uh, ones. Oh, I love it. You do the the jalapeno. You you get some, uh, whatever, tajin, tajin, that, that spice. You put it on the rim. Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or like a mango jalapeno. Spicy sweet. It's never my go-to, but I would drink one. That's fair. If That's that fair. was the option. That's fair. I, I think strawberry is kind of my go-to. If I'm going to do any kind of flavored margarita. Interesting. We have very different margarita. Uh, yeah. Actually, pineapple uh, jalapeno. That's probably like my favorite little. <laughs> Strawberries are great for hiding how strong the margarita is. Fair. Because sometimes I don't measure ever. So I'm just like, that looks like enough tequila. That looks like a knife of that. And then I'm like. Well, that's very light because there's a lot of tequila in Mm -hmm. it. I guess I'll just throw a couple more strawberries in. Look, now it looks perfect. I mean, honestly, it is mostly like a real one is not. It's just a little lime juice. Like that's the only. I mean, and there's like a um, orange liqueur of some sort, but that's still liquor. So, yeah, (laughs) there's really mostly tequila. (laughs) Yeah. So you're just making it right. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. Especially, I got the little cactus glasses. I love the cactus glasses. They do My remind favorite. me of being in the Southwest. Yes. Yeah. Just a little cacti margarita glass. I love it. Well, since we're both hydrated. Yes. <laughs> would you like to hear a story? I may be hydrated, but I'm still thirsty for a story. Oh, have you been working on that? No, I just thought of it. That's why what? it's fresh. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Well, I'm first. I already know the answer to have you heard of it, but have you heard of somebody named John Bagley? 
You know, the name sounds familiar. I definitely know of the street. Yes, as do I. It runs right through Corktown, beautiful street. Honeybee on Bagley. Yes. Bagley Street, the bar, great bar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today we are going to, because I feel like I could have d- dug a little deeper my last story, which was about uh, Daniel Scotton yes. and a little, a tiny, I give you a tiny tidbit of the tobacco yeah. industry in Detroit. Today, we're going to go a little deeper into the actual tobacco industry of Detroit and also talk Ooh, yes. about John Bagley, the other big tobaccoist tobacco dude. Yeah. Yes. The big tobacco. Yes. Big tobacco. But not the one of today at all. No. no. So is tobacco really? I mean, I guess it's still kind of big, but I feel like they've got to be hurting. Yeah, you know? I think there's like people are still like there's definitely less people buying them. But I feel like they've got really committed customers that are doing it still. Oh, there's still plenty of them and they're fine. <laughs> Do not yeah. worry about the I'm tobacco not worried about the industry at all. But a little bit about this tobacco industry. So the industry in Detroit got its start only four years after Michigan became a state. Mm-hmm. So in 1841, George Miller, who I mentioned before, became the first tobacconist opening a factory on Woodward south of Jefferson. By the 1850s, it became a very serious industry in the city, somewhat due to the help of the New York's Erie Canal, which actually made transport really easy for products to get around. That does make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there were also many German immigrants that came to the Detroit area and they enjoyed their tobacco and knew how to produce it very well. That tracks. Yeah. So it took over, basically. And the material itself, because we had this question last time, we were like, oh, why growing? Where? Where are they growing? Yeah. Where's this tobacco coming from? Mm -hmm. I need answers. It was actually from southwestern Ontario. Interesting. That was not where I was expecting. Nope. Nope. Me either. But apparently the sandy and silt loam soil helped with production of a very high quality tobacco product. Good for Western Ontario. Southwestern. Southwestern Ontario. <laughs> yes, Do you yeah. think they have margarita glasses with cactuses there? For them, I, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, and this was really accessible to get into Detroit and thus, you know, helped the industry yeah, kind of boom here. Makes sense. And there was no formal assembly line at this point. Obviously, we're talking the 1800s. Yeah. But production was actually basically an assembly line because it was actually broken down into specialized tasks. Workers would each perform part of the whole process and then baskets and crates of cigars would move between like each station along the Uh way. This proved very efficient and Detroit cigars were known for their consistent quality because of this. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Then the Civil War started. And as we know from before, there was a high demand for tobacco because soldiers like to smoke. Yeah. Well, in those days. And while hand-rolled cigarettes... Probably still now. Yeah. To a degree. I mean, everybody makes their own personal choices. Right. Yeah. While hand-rolled cigarettes were still considered a luxury item, the cigar represented victory. And pipes brought many solace during the hard times. So cigars were still pretty big. That is interesting. Like, Mm -hmm. the different types of tobacco... Like, cigarettes... Hand-rolled cigarettes, those are Mm -hmm. quality. Cigars, those are for victory. Pipe, you got hard times, have a pipe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's very weird to think about, but also, like, kind of makes sense? Yeah. Question mark? 
We'll just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little side trip to in 1881, the invention of the automatic cigarette rolling machine was created by James Albert Bonsack, which is his yep. name. Yep. And it's a good sack. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> French. Yes. Uh, and that eventually would start to reduce the demand for cigars and other tobacco products, just because I'm sure it also I didn't read this, but I'm sure it also like lowered the price of cigarettes, too, because they weren't being hand rolled oh, anymore. For sure. Just made them like more readily available. And like also mm-hmm. like give them the choice between a cigarette and a cigar. Yeah. I, Nobody has the time. Nobody's got the time for cigars. No. And I mean, like you have to have a victory. So. Right. I'm not the victorious. No, I'm definitely not. And this is when the industry started to move, started to move south, where many of the rolling machines were. So that's kind of what designated today's industry. Yeah, That's interesting. It wasn't necessarily the plant that dictated it. It was like where the rolling machines were. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And around the turn of the 20th century, the tobacco industry actually employed a lot of women, which is very interesting, mostly Polish immigrants. By 1913, the 10 largest Detroit tobacco companies... Because there was 38 at one point in Detroit. That is so many. Yeah. For like an industry you hear nothing about in the city. I know. It's crazy. And there's information out there, but there's not like extensive information, we'll say. Like, I feel like Detroit, you go like fur traders to automotive to Motown. Mm-hmm. That's like the, the that's the history of the city. Yeah. If you ask no. a lay person. No. Uh, but anyway, in 1913, the 10 largest companies employed 302 men and 3,896 women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thus becoming the largest employer of women in the city. No surprise there. Yeah. And re- women just proved to be better at the process of skilled hand rolling, which was really important because if it was too tight, it wouldn't like draw correctly. Yeah. And too loose, obviously, it would like fall apart. And yeah, that's it was an shoddy. Art. Yeah. Yeah. The downside is, though, that women weren't organized into unions. Mm. Since many of the employees were women, some factories were built in Polish neighborhoods. Two of those buildings still stand today. Only two out of all of the factories ever built, which I don't know how many there were because, you know, companies would rebuild and stuff like that. Yeah. And they are San Telmo on Michigan Avenue and Mazer Crestman on Grandy. And both were built by none other than any guesses. Albert Kahn. Albert Kahn and Associates. Albert Kahn. Mm-hmm. Which I'm wondering if that's partially why they weren't ever torn down. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah. But they're still there. Yeah. And the one is really. Neither of them are related to cigars in any way, shape or form anymore. It's just those two buildings are standing. Yeah. So to attract more female employees, some factories would even furnish their facilities with shower space. Showers spacious lunchrooms and some hired piano players to entertain during the 10 hour work days. Oh my God. Yeah. This is pre eight hour work day, you know, as an instituted. I'm guessing it wasn't like the trade off where like, Oh, you work four tens and you have a three day weekend. I don't I'm think guessing so. that probably was not. No. And I didn't, I didn't include this cause I couldn't find a lot of information. I think there was also a lot of child labor as was kind of, Happening in the United the States in that time, too. Yeah. Uh, I did read that sometime in the late 1800s, there was actually a strike because of the child labor, but I couldn't find like anything other than one sentence about it. So I didn't. Um, well, now I'm mentioning it. I didn't write it down, but I'm mentioning it. Yeah. However, 
the places that would furnish the facilities like that, they were the exception, not the rule. A lot of people worked in hot, humid, smelly places. And the women usually earned about half the wages of their male counterparts without the union. Yeah. Uh, addition to this, it was also common practice that new employees' wage would be held for up to six months to influence workers to stay at the job. They called this like a training period. Something they still do to this day. I know. It's We're cra- just talking about this at work. Oh, really? It's. I think instead of doing it that way, give like a bonus after X amount of time or something like, OK, like on your one year anniversary, you will get a bonus or something that's like meaningful, but like still pay people. That's bullshit. Right. Uh, So basically, yeah, if they left, then they would forfeit all wages. So that's great. That's unfortunate. So in 1912, the cigar makers international union called for a boycott of Detroit made cigars. And in September of 1913, the Detroit news tribune supported the union with an article that detailed practices of child labor within the facilities, like I mentioned. Yeah. Although this was actually a couple decades later, so it was still going on. A few years later, in January of 1915, the Tobacco Leaf, which was an industry journal, which I imagine was like high times. I love that. (laughs) Shared their thoughts. Tobacco Leaf, yeah. (laughs) Shared their thoughts citing San Telmo as a good model of corporate responsibility. They said they had a pleasant work environment as well as companies. The company supported building housing near the factories for workers. So like not everywhere was terrible, but still the women were earning half as much. Yeah. That same year, the Michigan legislature considered a minimum wage law that would support women in the industry. But the cigar makers lobbied against it and threatened to leave Michigan if it passed. Around the same time, that company that was cited for being oh so good to its employees, San Telmo, decided to extend their unpaid training period from six months to a full year. How do you expect people to live for a year if you're not going to pay them? I have no idea. It makes no sense to me. Again, bonus. People like a bonus. Give a bonus or or just a raise. Right. You're going to work for a decent amount this year. But next year, if you're with us for over a year, you're going to make a good amount. Yeah. That would be great. But with all of this. It's no surprise that on June 26, 1916, tensions increased and male employees negotiated because they are unionized a major pay increase at pay increase at San Telmo. Three days after this, however, the women at I don't know. How, it's I want to say Lily's, but I don't think it's that it's L-I-L-I-E-S. Lily's Lily's cigar. Lily's. Yeah, I know I can't. <laughs> I, yeah, it, I keep reading yeah. it as lilies, but I know that's not how you spell lilies. Oh, that is true. Mm-hmm. Spelling. Lilies? Lilies? Lilies. That one place. Yep. Cigar company, they walked off the job because they were like, this is bullshit. What the fuck? As they should have, because it is bullshit. Yeah. And the strikes actually followed at all major producers in the city. Nice. So women were sick of the poor working conditions, the withholding pay during the training period. Yeah. Obviously, not obviously, but unfortunately, sexual harassment and they're on equal wages. Yeah. By 1917, the strikes helped to achieve some of their goals and their wages were increased to making 25 to $40 a week, 
which is about 410 to 660 today. So okay, the higher end of that is good. Yeah. Not like amazing, but the higher end of that, you can be. You could live somewhat comfortable, but yeah. yeah. Uh, this would not be the first or last time workers in the cigar industry would strike, though. And during the Great Depression, the women's wages would plummet further and further once again. And many walkouts happened at that point as well. In 1937, after being inspired by the automotive workers in Flint, a major sit-in was staged, I believe, by women. So mm-hmm. few issues there. We're going to go back a little bit, though, from 1937. And after World War I, cigarettes had become the business. Oh, hell yeah. And the demand for cigars and chewing tobacco plummeted. So while most cigar production was in the North in the U.S. until the 1920s, good old prohibition went into effect. Uh And since nothing else goes hand in hand with cigars like saloons and hotel bars, the industry was basically shook and shut down in the North for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like for a few more decades, there would be a few, you know, but nothing like it was. No, no. Also, uh, by this time, mass-produced cigarettes were widely available and also produced in the South, where those rolling machines were. And Detroit's focus, honestly, at this point, had shifted towards, as we know it, the auto industry. Yeah. Uh, 1966 marks the last cigar manufacturer in Detroit closing its doors. And this is when Schwartz Wemmer Gilbert threw in the final towel in a hostile buyout. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So it managed to hold on to the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. Like a couple would hold on for. It's such a bummer. They didn't make it. Further. I don't know. I feel like at least one cigar company in Detroit would do well Mm -hmm. right now or do a decent at least. Yeah. I mean, I think because we've gone to a like locally made kind of. There's a lot more people who appreciate locally made or specifically made in certain cities now. Yeah. And yeah, so if you're looking to start something in Detroit, cigars, there might be some, I don't, I mean, there's definitely like cigar bars, but I've never heard of a cigar manufacturer. Yeah. Although even the cigar bars, I know, um, the one downtown closed at some point. Yeah. I forget. (laughs) This is, well, today it is a cigar podcast, but generally speaking, this is not Not a a cigar cigar podcast. podcast. Yeah. Uh, but now we're going to talk about the man of the hour. John J. Bagley. John J. Bagley. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have to say, I was a little, every time I see a person in the street was named after in Detroit, I get nervous because I know some of them are very not great. Yeah. And I honestly, I couldn't find anything like too terrible on him, which is good. That's um, good. Yeah. Not to say there isn't. And if anybody knows anything, I will share in future episodes if you let me know. But yeah. So yeah. he was the 16th governor of the state. And he served as governor from 1873 to 1877. But far before that, he started as an apprentice in a small chewing tobacco shop. Okay. As we kind of talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, A little about his history, though, because it's nice to know where they came from. He was born July 24th, 1832 in New York. His family moved to Constantine, Michigan when he was eight. And at the age of 13, they moved to the opposite side of the state side of the state to Owasso. Okay. And in 1847, at the age of 14, that's when he moved to Detroit to pursue a career in tobacco. Interesting. Yeah. And the industry, I mean, this is only like a six-year-old industry at this point in time. So 
Yeah. You know, get in while the iron's hot or whatever. Yeah. Strike when the iron's hot. There we go. That's, it is, that's right. Yep. Yep. Okay. I I just don't know things. Uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Thank you. That's why, Thank that's why you. we're a team. Yes. One of us will have the answer, hopefully. Yes. Um. So this is when he and Scotton studied under, and I'm going to say it again, tutelage. Tutelage. Because I love, I love tutelage. Yes. Of Isaac Miller, that like tobacco guy who wasn't the yeah. first Miller tobacco guy, but was a Miller tobacco guy. Uh, Bagley went from an apprentice to being a salesman and then to an agent. And after seven years, he bought the business and renamed it Mayflower. Okay. He turned his company, however, into a leader in the industry. Ooh. He started to make rectangular chewing tobacco in a tin with a lid, and that soon became the industry standard. Like Altoids. Yes, except for tall, not wide. Gotcha. Yeah. Not Altoids, yeah. like Band-Aids. And it's interesting because I did look up photos of it, and there's none from Mayflower, but there is like examples of these tins from like other yeah. because it did become industry standard. Yeah. Uh, eventually, he established John J. Bailey and Company. Which I think Mayflower was like underneath. Like, I think that yeah. was the umbrella company. Uh, later, he was elected to the Detroit School Board in 1855 for three years. During which time he helped found, found none other than the Republican Party for the whole country. Well, D- different times. Not ideal. Different times, though. Not ideal. Republicans were very different in these times, though, too. Like oh for sure you know but they started somewhere yeah so yeah for sure and during all this he somehow found time to get married to Frances E Newberry and that ceremony took place in Iowa because she was the daughter of Reverend Samuel Newberry a pioneer missionary of Michigan okay did you say Iowa yes okay yeah. And then actually, I have it coming up. Well, we'll we'll get to how they met in a little. Okay. I'm going to talk about her in a little bit too. But sure, he the couple would go on to have seven children. That's a lot of kids. So it's good that he was making a ton of money in the tobacco industry. Yeah. In 1868, they started construction of an impressive house on Park Avenue that spanned an entire block between Macomb, which is now Bagley Street. Wait, did it used to be Park? Now it's Bagley? Um, Macomb. Oh, it used to be Macomb. Yeah, it was on Park Avenue, but it was between Macomb and Washington Boulevard, but Macomb is now Bagley Street. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. For, I mean, like, as soon as you said Park Avenue, I went to the taco song up and down Park Avenue. I mean, it was on Park Avenue. Yeah. So, appropriate. Um. It was always putting on the Ritz. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was built in the Italian villa style. Yes. So very European and very popular in Detroit at the time. Oh, yeah. Made of brick, featured a four story tower where you could see the expanse of Grand Circus Park. I love just a random tower. I know. I know. And of course, there was an equally impressive carriage house because carriage houses Mm -hmm. were important. Yeah, the garages of the 1800s. Yeah. After the Bagleys, the property would serve as a time for the Michigan Conservatory of Music until 1907, 
But then mm-hmm. it was sold to a man named Arthur H. Fleming for $225,000 or about $5.5 million today. Damn. Mm-hmm. Fleming then sold it to Ellsworth M. Statler, who built the Statler Hotel, oh. which has its own history, but was torn down in 2004, five-ish. Oh. And now it's the City Club Apartments. <laughs> I know them. Yeah. I was like, interesting. Yeah. So anyway, back, all things. Yeah. back to John, though. He served on the Detroit Common Council from 1860 to 61 and was a member of the police commissioners from 1865 to 72. He also helped to organize the Michigan Mutual Life Insurance Company and was president from 1867 to 72, during which he was also chairman of the Michigan Republican Party from 68 to 70. Okay. Yeah. And then, like I said, yeah, like I said earlier, though, 1873, he was elected to as the state's 16th governor. You're going to laugh. But in one source, it was listed as Beardo governor, but the link was broken. And I don't know what that means. And if anybody knows what a Beardo governor is, please let us know. Because I. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Beardo. Mm -hmm. Birdo. Which reminds me of Gordo from Lizzie McGuire. It reminds me of Birdo from Mario. Yeah. Which I know the name of that character from you. Yes. <laughs> and he served two terms. And in this position, he established the State Board of Health and hoped, helped oversee construction of the state capitol. Ooh. Mm-hmm. He also encouraged to create commissions to regulate uh, railroads, help control juvenile delinquency, and a state fish commission. Keep the kids off the streets and on the pole. The <laughs> fishing pole, mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. His administration was characterized by four main tenets. One was basically that the state should not get into debt or incur any expenses it couldn't be, pay off quickly. Fair. Uh, the second one was that those less fortunate, especially children, should not have less opportunity than the fortunate. Awesome. Yes, exactly. Uh, three, education should be practical and widespread and necessary for industry. Okay. And four, that he, quote, never quivered in his confidence in the people of Michigan. And the free press quoted him as saying that having, quote, faith that with good laws, equal justice and general education as the foundations, we could build here a state that would stand forever as the handiwork of a free people. Love that. Yeah. He was also a Unitarian and he was a large supporter of prohibition, which is interesting. because Oh, unfortunate. That Just would affect canceled. his industry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he helped pass the liquor tax law, so we can thank him for that to today. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Canceled. I hate this guy. Uh, but now we're going to talk about his wife, Frances, for a moment. Okay. Did she do better stuff than put a liquor tax? She did. There's no liquor tax. Cool. Yeah. Uh, she and John, well, John Bagley, they were lifelong companions and had known one another since childhood. They were each other's lobster. Yes. Claw and claw. Yeah, it's walking down the beach. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things ever. I call my non-romantic life partner my lobster. Oh, uh, yes. love that. And so during Frances's time in Detroit, she founded a Sunday school at her church, which was the first Unitarian church. She taught a class in ancient religions. This is really cool, which quickly became so popular that it could no longer be held in church parlors because it attracted over 50 participants each session. Damn. Mm-hmm. Which is just interesting. Like, 
she was studying like other things too. It sounded like not just, you know, yeah. her religion. Uh, she also was the president of the women's hospital and women's club, as well as an active member of the industrial school. She was also a member of the English society for Hellenic Hellenic um, study and the archeological Institute of America who would actually meet in their house. She often held speech. Oh, this is really cool. She often held speeches for the public at their house too. The free press one time reported that there was a particularly enthralling speech once by a monk about different Hindu philosophies that drew a huge crowd. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. Especially back then. I know. They didn't have like the internet. It was just like, here, come learn about stuff. I know. I love that she just. She was the Wendy Wikipedia of her time. Yes. And she just wanted to like know about people, which I love. Yeah. I think that's fascinating and awesome. And we should all just learn about people. Yes. But the list does go on. Uh, She was also a corresponding member of the Anthropological Society in Washington, D.C. and the Egyptian Exploration Society. So she was selected as one of the lady managers at large of the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. Love that. Mm -hmm. She did not stop H.H. Holmes, but we will not hold that against her. Uh, I watched such a boring documentary about him the other day. Oh my god! Oh, so unfortunate. It was boring because they're making a mini series about it. I think. I hope it's good because I've tried to watch several things and I've yet to find an H. H. Holmes documentary or series. Did you ever read Man in the White or Devil in the White City? Mm-mm. I know See, I that should. was an interesting. That was an interesting. Yeah. I think that's what they're basing the mini series off. Of. Okay, that would be fantastic because I have heard very good things about that. I got like halfway through it. It's great. <laughs> First half, anyway. Okay, good to know. It was an ebook. It returned itself. Oh, and I never went back to it. Fair, fair. That's yeah, why I like it literally disappeared from my life. That's why I I can't do I can't I cannot do the ebooks. I've tried. Yeah. I can't. That's fair. Yeah, I'm coming more around to them now because I did like mm-hmm. I've started doing e magazines where instead of like because I kept getting magazines delivered to my house, I realized I was never reading them. Mm-hmm. But then like the GameStop ones, like do you want to do the app instead? It's five bucks cheaper. I'm like. Okay. I'm not reading them anyway, but then I did the app, but now I read them because it's oh, just on my phone that I'm on the time all the time anyway. I love that. Yeah. So I think maybe I can get into ebooks now. Godspeed. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, I know some people are really good at that. I just. No, I'm very much in that same boat where I love a physical book. I need the tactile. Yeah. Or audio. I can do an audio book. I sometimes can do audio books. I need like the, the like. The physical book. So I know that it's going to hurt when I drop it on my face. I'm already I'm already easily distracted enough that like, yeah, I I need something, something to notification or, me. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more. So, yeah. Um, Back to Francis. Yes. So at the World's Fair, too, she also helped promote the opening of the fair on Sundays because it wasn't open yeah. on Sundays before. So that's cool, too. Yeah. And John fell ill around mid-July of 1881. The Free Press reported that, quote, The loss of a man like Governor Bagley would be public calamity, and the prayers of his immediate friends for his restoration to health will find a responsive echo in thousands of hearts. By July 27th in San Francisco, he died of tuberculosis only three days after his 49th birthday. Damn. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. In his will, he left funds to build the Bagley Memorial Fountain to produce, quote, water cold and pure as the coldest mountain stream, 
for fellow Detroiters in Cadillac Square Park. You can still oh see it today. Oh my god, I forgot about Bagley Fountain. I've definitely yeah. like seen the Bagley Memorial Fountain. I did not put two and two together. I had no idea. I yeah, because I didn't know who he was, and now yeah, now we do. Now you do. Yeah. Uh, his funeral left a mourning over the city as a whole. At his funeral, uh, the funeral was located at his mansion, and the streets were said to be densely packed and stretched for two or three miles down Fort Street and Woodward Avenue. He is buried at Woodmere Cemetery. Okay. Yeah. After his death, Woodmere. Woodmere. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I grew up on Woodmere. Oh. Not like, not like the cemetery on no. the street. Yeah. No, it's one yeah. of the two. There's a lot of historical there's figures. There's and Woodmere. Yeah. And then there's an e an e one too, isn't there? Oh yeah. Yeah. I covered one of them really early on. You did. That was a long time ago though, because like we've been recording for two years now. Yeah. Which is insane. Elmwood. 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 Elmwood That's the one that you covered. So anyway, he's buried at Woodmere Cemetery. Yeah. Uh, After John's death, Frances actually, and not surprisingly, given her interest, she spent many years traveling. Love that for her. I know. She went to Greece. and traveling and learning people, Mm -hmm. learning about different cultures. She was eat, pray, loving before Julia Roberts was even a glimmer in her father and mother's eyes. She sure was. Um, she went actually as far as Greece and even Egypt, which was really hard to get to at the time. Like, I believe, yeah, to float on the Nile in a basket and hope someone found you. That's what the prince of Egypt taught me. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Uh, she passed away in 1898, 17 years after John. Damn. Mm -hmm. But I mean, kind of baller, you know? Yeah. She got this, like, she uh, probably loved him. Very sad. Yeah, but also but lived he her life. Away, she's got to, yeah, she's got to go travel and do shit for seventeen yeah. years. She she really she took life by the balls and didn't stop. She did, and that's beautiful. Um, yes. And now we're going to get to the case of the missing bust. The missing bust. So there was a bust commission in Bagley's honor, and it was finished in February of eighteen eighty nine. By May of that year, it was placed in Campus Martius. Mm-hmm. But the location was actually very controversial for some reason. I couldn't find exactly why. Uh, and there was a lot of people that wanted it to be moved. And in the 1890s, there was like a lot of commotion about moving it. Uh-huh. It would take another like 30 years until 1926 when Woodward, Woodward Avenue was being widened for a move uh-huh. to happen, though. Okay. So the bust was put into safekeeping at the Detroit Museum of Art, now the DIA. Until a new home could be found. In 1935, talks of moving it to Grand Circus Park were thrown around near the site of his former home, but it never happened and the memory of it faded for the next eight decades or so. Damn. Mm-hmm. So nobody knows where it is now? Well, hold hold okay. on. Hold on to your seat. So because it was technically the property of the city of Detroit's Department of Parks and Boulevards, it was never added to the DIA's actual collection, and thus the location was kept a mystery. Ooh. That is until July of 2019. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Coincidence? Um, we started doing our podcast, they found a bust, maybe. Oh, oh you're right. <laughs> you're welcome, city of Detroit. <laughs> And this is when historicdetroit.org author and historic author and historian uh, and the person who runs the website, Dan Austin, 
revived the search with the help of Barbara Heller of the DIA. And they were able to finally find it in a DIA warehouse and a search for a new home began. So basically the DIA has like several places that they like store art. Some are on the premises and some are off the premises. And I think it was in one of the off premise, you know. I love that. I love that there's just like warehouses of art I places. Know. I know. It's crazy. Just imagining a storage wars episode about it. Yeah. <laughs> we broke into the storage vault and then all of a sudden we found a Vermeer. Yeah. So basically for like 90 years, it was in DIA storage, the basement of the DIA's current location. And then, oh, okay, it was in the basement of the DIA's current location and then finally moved to a climate controlled DIA warehouse on the east side at some point. But nobody really knows exactly when because it wasn't theirs. Yeah, it was just there for safekeeping. So it was like, you know, has anybody else ever asked you to hold on to something like you can't get rid of it? But like you're also like, I have both done that to people and been that person to other people. Like, yeah, I'll hold on to this. I'll move with it 13 times. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want it back? Oh, not ready oh, for it. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> and Austin, actually, the person who started this, was quoted as saying, because I love this quote. Does Detroit need another bronze bust of a wealthy white dude? Probably not. But he was a prominent figure in Michigan's history. It's just that most people didn't know he was such a prominent figure in the 19th century Detroit that they put a bust of him right in the heart of the city. And basically, that's where it kind of ends. They haven't found a new location for it per se, but they're on. It's basically it's been brought up again. Like people are aware of it, and I think they're trying yeah. to find a proper place for it uh, to give Bagley's bronze head a home. <laughs> yeah, they'll find somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and so that is the story of John J. Bagley and the tobacco industry. Of Detroit. I lo- Here's the thought that I had for the first spot where they could put the bust. I want them to put it just under the water of the Detroit River, looking up at you. So when you look over the riverfront edge at Hart Plaza, you just see Bagley You're staring like, ah. back at you underwater. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's bronze. That should work. Yes, I think Bagley Street. <laughs> just anywhere on Bagley. That does Street. make more sense. That does. That does. Um. Mm-hmm. Not that mine wasn't a great suggestion, but yours does make more sense. <laughs> but yeah, and before I quit, forget really quickly, my sources were an article called Detroit Tobacco Industry Once Known on phonology.blogspot.com, an article about John Bagley on nga.org, uh, one about the cigar strikes on clas.wayne.edu. Of course, historicdetroit.org, since the yeah. whole bus thing for sure. Multiple we articles from them too. Yeah, great website for sure. An article in the Detroit Free Press from October 16th, 2019 by Ryan Patrick Cooper, who I've actually met. Interesting. Yeah, he did. Uh, when I was running a variety show, he did stand up. So Fine. doubt you're listening, but hey, good article. Uh, mystery solved. Bust of Michigan Governor John J. Bagley had been in storage for 93 years. And then, of course, a sprinkling of Wikipedia. We love a Wikipedia. Very small dash. Very small dash. Yeah. So every, you know, every story is a little dash of Wikipedia. Yeah. Just to make a pop. Yeah. Like, like a cherry. Yeah. Funny you should mention cherry, though. I actually did my two truths and a lie about cherry blossoms. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's around the time of year for those. All right. 
Uh, this is all from Mental Floss. Yes. Fact number one. Okay. Most trees only bloom for a week or two, but have peak color for only about three days. Okay. Fact number two. The first batch of cherry trees to arrive in America were thrown together in a pile and burned. Okay. Fact number three. The cherry blossom capital of the world is Kyoto, Japan, where they boast up to 350,000 of Yoshino cherry trees. Okay. I'm pretty sure the third one's true unless you change the city. Only because one time a friend told me about going to Japan to see the cherry blossoms. They are a... It's a very memorable As they say story. in the business, BFD, big fucking deal there. Yeah. They have festivals for it. The burning thing would be a weird lie. The first one seemed real true, too. This is hard. You're, you're being tricky. This is hard because hey, I know um, it is a short uh, bloom. I know it's a short bloom. I'm going to regret this and I'm going to go with one being the lie. One is true. Okay. So trees will bloom for like a week or two and have peak color for about three days. Uh, and peak bloom is when 70% or more of the trees have bloomed. Okay. And that usually happens in late March, early April, which is kind of why people are talking about it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is true. Darn. Now you're making me second guess. the th- Again, I know it's a BFD in, in Japan in general. I don't know the specifics. I'll go with two being the lie. Two is also true. Damn it. So... The first shipment of trees uh, came from Japan in 1910 as like a gift. Uh-huh. But the trees were weak from over pruning of the roots and they were infested with wood burrowing insects. So really there was no choice but to destroy them, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. But like the mayor of Tokyo took it in stride and said the following about the ordeal. To be honest about it, it has been an American tradition to de- destroy cherry trees ever since your first president, George Washington. So there's nothing to worry about. In fact, you should be feeling proud. So very much, I think that was Japanese saving face. But um, wow. Another shipment was sent and came in in 1912, and that was much more successful. I believe those are the ones planted in D.C. today. Okay. Which also like, let's let's just. Let's just keep things where they grow naturally. <laughs> That's fair. They're really pretty and like they are I don't beautiful. think they're problematic as like an invasive thing, but just yeah. I get real nervous about invasive species. Yeah. It's not ideal. Yeah. But that three is the lie. Do you have any For sure truth of where is the cherry blossom capital of the world? That boasts up to 350,000 of the Yoshino cherry trees. Okinawa. Nope. I'm going to say Tokyo just because like. Nope. I give you three guesses. I know. Shanghai. These are like literally the cities I know of and that's it. Shanghai is China. Oh shit. Uh, You're right. See, do you I want don't. another guess or no? Let me think for two seconds to think if I can think of another city in Japan. Okay. I don't know if I can. This is not a geography is not my forte in general. Yeah. Um, and Japanese geography is not it easy either. It's the size of California. They have 49 prefectures, which are like states. Yeah. That's Isn't that crazy. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, like great for them, but that's also. Yeah. That's lot. the system that works for them. But yeah. like. Uh, but my brain can't handle it right now. Yeah. 
I'm out of cities. <laughs> That's fair because it's not even in Japan. It's not? It's in the United States. Is it Washington? No. Maryland? Nope. You would never guess this in a million fucking years. Iowa. <laughs> nope. You give up? No, you want to keep guessing? Yeah, I give up. Okay. Macon, Georgia. Huh. You're right. Never. Yeah. I would have never guessed it either, and I was shocked when I read it, but they apparently have 350,000 Yoshino cherry trees there. Huh. Good for them. So, yeah. Good for them but, um, making that happen. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> if anybody's in Georgia, send us a, a photo if you're, yeah, if you're near Macon, Georgia. T- oh, I have some more fun facts. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, don't pick them because oh. at least if you're in D.C., because apparently in D.C. you can get arrested for it because it's seen as a vandalism of federal property if you pick a cherry blossom. Okay. Although the article said you probably just get slapped with a fine, but like still don't do it. Yeah. Just take a photo. Right. It'll last longer. Take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but footprints. Mm-hmm. As they say in the national parks, state parks. Yeah. Also, you can eat both the blossom and the leaves of the cherry tree, and they're used in Japan for things like mochi wrappers traditionally. So mochi, you know Ooh, what mochi is? I love mochi. Yeah, I love I mochi. I don't know too. cities, but I know foods. Yes. Uh, but they also use like they use it to make flavoring for things like Coke, Pepsi, Starbucks, and even Kit Kats. Okay. They have two Kit Kat flavors that uh, feature the cherry blossom, which is Sakura in Japanese. So they have Sakura and roasted soybean and Sakura sake, which is Ooh. like Sakura rice wine. Yeah. Well, I know they sake. pop off for Kit Kats in Japan completely. Oh, uh, I'm fascinated at the many, many Kit Kat flavors. Green tea. I yeah. love the green tea ones. Oh, same. Mm-hmm. Or matcha. They, I loved they had these like little like sleeves mm-hmm. of like quarter sized matcha chocolate chip cookies they're like mm-hmm. green tea or matcha chocolate chip cookies and they're so good i've been meaning to try to find a recipe to make them at home but mm-hmm. like i know i can never compete yeah i can't make quarter size cookies no who yeah. am i a keebler elf not possible <laughs> you're too tall i'm too tall you're too tall yeah. you're gonna be bigger cookies yeah yeah no um i i do i do love japanese foods in general yes. um thank you for the for the foods japan thank you for the foods and the 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 rich history of them yes which now i just i do need to mention too i know there's been like a lot of uh hate towards the asian community unfortunately lately but you know spread the love and spread the the information and the knowledge and stand up for people if you know you see anything happening We're here to lift everyone up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I just, it's so disturbing that that can even be a thing. It really fucking is. And I, my mind is just boggled yeah. and disappointed. Yeah. You know, and yeah. And there's lots it's, of really good organizations out there, you know, working to yeah. to combat some of these issues and also just being a good be a good person, spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. Just be kind. Don't be a dick. 
Eggs. Fucking that's exactly. the biggest. That's my number one and probably only like hard life rule because it covers so much. It really Don't does. Don't be a dick. Right. Right. Good. I'm not saying you have to like love everything. It's great if you do, but don't be a dick. Right. Be respectful. That, that should be the real golden rule. I think, I mean, it's my golden rule. Yeah. It's how I, I, I try to live by and aspire to, cause I am not infallible. Uh, I same fuck up, but I try to catch myself when I fuck up and try to amend or change it. And, you know, Again, trying to spread awareness to other people, too. Yeah. If you're pointing out, point it out kindly. Come at it with, you know. Tactful. A loving heart, even if and constructive. maybe they're not. That's the thing is like, <sighs> criticism is okay if it's tactful and constructive. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Don't just tell someone something sucks. Yeah. And don't give them any like, you know. Take a deep breath. Allow your thoughts to collect for a moment and then approach it from, like you said, a tactful um in a way that you're trying to help them be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not combative. Yeah. Unless they're like, we won't go not Trump listening. Help them be best. Yeah. They're really not listening. Sometimes you do have to be a little bit more assertive. Yeah. But assess the situation. Yeah. 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 I was about to say, we're wrapped like a matcha Kit Kat. We are wrapped like a matcha Kit Kat. Oh my gosh. I want those now. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to find us on our social medias, mm-hmm. you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Detroit Strange, yes. Detroit Strange on Facebook, and Detroit Strange at gmail.com for our email address. Send us anything you want. Just no fucking coupons. You sure can. And if you're looking for ways to support the show, we would love it if you would rate, subscribe, review. Yes. We've also got merch at the Threadless Shop. Just look up Detroit Strange. Yes. We've got our Patreon, Detroit Strange. And, um, I think until next time. D state. (laughs) We've only been doing this. We've been doing it for 88 times. I've lost it. Um, That's fair. You want to try again? Yep. Until next time. Stay. Stay strange. There we go. See, we got it. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Sax and Violence.